Turn your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 20. The Gospel of John, chapter 20, for a sermon entitled, But Mary. While Peter and John play supporting parts, we can be sure that Mary Magdalene has a starring role in the resurrection story. In this crucifixion account, John contrasts the four women of faith with the four soldiers who would carry out the execution. Turn back to chapter 19, verse 23. The soldiers, therefore, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic. Now, look down to verse 25. Therefore, the soldiers did these things, but, here's the contrast, but there were standing by the cross, right there by the cross, Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Among the list of ladies present at the crucifixion, the only one that is not presumed to be a family member of Jesus is Mary from Magdala. We can be certain from John 19 and other gospel texts that she was an absolute eyewitness of the crucifixion of our Lord. She had been right there when he said, it is finished, bowed his head, having accomplished all that God had called him to do. When we take a look at Matthew's account, we discover that Mary Magdalene was also actually present when Joseph of Arimathea received the body of Jesus and wrapped it in the linen cloth and laid it in his own, Joseph's own tomb. Finally, she herself had seen the large stone rolled over the tomb's entrance, the stone that was necessary to separate the living of the one hand from the dead on the other. Matthew clearly states that Mary was sitting opposite the grave as a witness as the burial events occurred. We can only imagine this morning how disappointed and downcast she was that the one who had saved her from seven demons was now unable to save himself from the grave. The last thing the Bible tells us that she saw on that Friday, the tortured body of her deliverer, being beaten and battered and bruised and buried. She had seen it all. This morning we're reminded there's no place that we can go where he has not been. There's no place that we might go where Jesus has not been, not even suffering and not even the grave. This week we join Mary as she journeys to the tomb. Look at chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. Interestingly enough, every gospel writer tells us that it is the first day of the week, not the third day after the, resur after the crucifixion. Perhaps they wanted to present the resurrection of Jesus as something new. Something new has begun. It is the first day of the week. It certainly explains why the church gathers not on the Sabbath, the Jewish day of worship, but rather our day is today because today is the day that his tomb is empty. 
Having seen Jesus' actual burial, Mary of Magdala knew exactly where to go, which tomb to visit to finish anointing her Lord. It's still dark, John tells us. He's telling us it's early in the morning, but maybe he's telling us more. Maybe he's reflecting back to chapter 1, and we see that the resurrection is a light shining in the darkness. It appears as if Mary is approaching the tomb alone. But the other gospel writers tell us there's a group of women, and in verse 2 here, she uses the plural pronoun we. Mary is not alone, but of all the four women who go John focuses on Mary alone while approaching the Sabbath. Nicodemus had done a rush job in wrapping and anointing the body for the burial in the ladies' minds. They need to go back and complete his burial more carefully. They approached the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared Along the way, they discussed the weighty stone and it was going to prevent them from getting to the body and how they would remove it. And when they arrived, they discover, to their surprise, it has already been rolled away. Look at verse 2. And she ran and came to Simon Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. Mary's immediate reaction to the open tomb is to run to tell the disciples of Jesus. More specifically, she tells John and Peter. Peter is given a name, and John is called the beloved disciple. The writer of this gospel never mentions himself by name. He's always referred as the one that Jesus loves. But this is John, the son of Zebedee, the brother of James, the writer of our gospel, the one that Jesus loves loves. John gives us an honest report about Mary's emotions that morning. The possibility of a resurrection never, ever even occurred to her. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. She thought there had been grave robbers Grave robbing was so frequent in antiquity that Emperor Claudius ordered capital punishment for those destroying the tombs or removing bodies or even breaking the seal on the ceiling stone. Mary is certain that someone has stolen the body of her Lord. I want you to notice in verse 2, she calls him the Lord. The first time in John's gospel, the definite article, Jesus is the Lord. Her Lord's body has been stolen. Verses 3 through 5, Peter therefore went forth, and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb, and the two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. This is a breathless text. Everybody in the story is running. Mary runs to tell the disciples, and then Peter and John run back to the, the empty tomb, Everybody is in a hurry. Now, if we had to name a a winner of this first century foot race, it would be John. He beat Peter by a long shot, it sounds like. Now, why did John beat Peter? Well, the most ancient and most accurate explanation is he's younger, he's faster, he gets there first. But he dare not go in. He just stands and he sees the linen wrappings lying there. 
But in verses 6 and 7, Peter comes following him, and Peter actually enters the tomb. Peter, always impetuous, always a man of action. And he sees the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth folded neatly in another place. Why such a big deal about the linen wrappings and the face cloth and the grave cloths? Why all of this about that? First, the presence of the neatly wrapped face cloth and linen wrappings gives us evidence that we have had the occurrence of a resurrection and not a robbery. If the body had been stolen, they wouldn't have left these expensive linen wrappings or the spices that comes along with them, but they are neatly wrapped and set aside as if a resurrection has taken place. He also tells us because it's the difference between the resurrection of Lazarus and the resurrection of Jesus. Lazarus, back in John chapter 11, he is bound and he comes out and Jesus has to say, unbind him. He is bound by death until he's unwrapped, but not so with Jesus. He has absolute victory over death. And then verse 8, perhaps this is the greatest apex of all the gospel of John. So the other disciple, that is the beloved disciple, that is John, the writer of our gospel, the other disciple who had come first to the tomb, he entered then also, and notice, he saw and he believed. Now, there's no objects there. We're not told what he saw. We're not told what he believed, but there could be no doubt. What he saw was the emptiness of the tomb. And what he believed is that Jesus had told them all before. He had warned them that he was going to die. He was going to suffer at the hands of sinful men. And on the third day, he was going to arise. And John, who had seen the crucifixion up close, who stood there with Mary, the mother of Jesus, now he saw the empty tomb and he saw that death could not hold him. And he believed that Jesus was the resurrected Messiah. Look at verse 9 and 10. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. John is quite honest, didn't he? We hadn't understood what Jesus was trying to tell us when he said he was going to suffer and rise again. Now, some believe that John has a particular passage in mind, maybe Hosea 6.2. He will raise up on the third day. Or Jonah 1.17 that Jesus himself had used when he said, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth, Jesus had said. That other messianic psalm that's used so often, Psalm 16, for thou will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor allow the Holy One to undergo, undergo decay. The reference to Scripture might be one of those. But I think it's a reference to all the Old Testament. You see, the resurrection explains Scripture, what is written. And the Scripture explains the resurrection, what has been experienced and seen. The resurrection explains Scripture, what has been written. And the Scripture explains the resurrection, what has been seen and experienced. John has that aha moment. He sees the emptiness of the tomb, and he believes. Following John's moment of faith, the disciples go back to their own homes. Verses 11 through 13, 
We learn that John and Peter left, but Mary comes back to the tomb at some point in the story. This time she comes back alone. They leave and Mary lingers. Look at verse 11. Verse 10, the disciples went away again to their own homes. Verse 11, but Mary, unlike the disciples who've left the scene, Mary is still standing there outside the tomb weeping. She looks into the tomb, but unlike John and Peter, she doesn't just see linen wrappings. She sees two divine creatures, two angels, one at the head and one where the feet of Jesus had been lying. You see, the angels tell us, that this is a divine occurrence, but Mary. Mariah Carey has a song that perhaps captures Mary's heart. Even though I try, I can't let go. Do you realize the sorrow I have inside? Do you know the way it feels when all you have just dies? Her Lord was not only dead, they had stolen his body and she was upset. She sees the divine creatures, and she learns we've not had an invasion of robbers, but rather we have here in the resurrection an invasion of God himself. The presence of the angels adds to the sacredness of the sight. The angels ask a question, woman, why are you weeping? We can't be sure what brings Mary, back to the burial site. Sometimes you know this congregation. When someone you love dies, you just want to be close to where they were or to their, you go back to the cemetery. There's some connection there. There's some meaning there just to be close to that, to them, to their body. But rather than embracing her grief, instead the angels question her quandary. We should know that Mary uses the, the pronoun I. She is there alone this time. Verses 14 and 15, she turns around and she beholds Jesus, but she can't recognize this Jesus. She supposes he's the gardener. Sir, if you've taken his body away, no questions asked. Just tell me where you've laid him. I'll go and get him, the gardener. Isn't it odd we conduct our lives differently with people based on who we think they are. We conduct our lives differently with people based on who we think they are. The character most likely to be hanging around the grave would be the gardener, the caretaker. Maybe he's had orders to remove the body of Jesus. She's still not sure what's going on. And Mary, I would propose today, is not entirely wrong in her guess that he is the gardener. Pilate had already declared before his crucifixion, behold the man, behold the Adam, the new Adam. The first Adam had been the gardener of God's creation, and now the new Adam, the new gardener. The new gardener is charged with bringing the chaos of God's creation into new, new order, into flower, into fruitfulness. He has come in our lives to uproot the thorns and thistles and replace them with blossoms and harvest. Imagine ourselves this morning joining Mary at the tomb. Someone we love dearly has died. And the body's been desecrated by an unexplained disappearance. 
Our hearts grieve at the loss and are completely unsettled by the missing body of the one that we love. Look at verse 16. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. At this moment of greatest distress, Mary hears the calling of her name. My sheep know my voice, said the good shepherd. Why, there was no one. There was no one who enunciated and pronounced her name just like her teacher, her master, her Lord. Mary, he's saying, can't you see it is I? Was it familiar tones of God's grace? Was it familiar tones of the voice of God that she had been hearing? We all long for Mary's moment. That moment when Jesus calls our name to. We know that death has been defeated and life has won the day. Listen closely this morning. I think I hear him calling your name too. Mary turns and calls him teacher, and she grabs him and holds on to him. She is clinging. She wasn't about to let go. Imagine yourself finding someone that you've just buried, now resurrected, you would hold and cling and refuse to lose him or her again. Mary, our relationship's changed, he's saying. Don't cling to me. We won't walk around Galilee again and have meals together and you won't sit and listen to me teach. I've got to ascend to the Father. But you go and tell my brothers that I've got to ascend to my Father and their Father and my God and their God. Mary, don't try to keep me and possess me. And when he says, go and speak to the brethren, he's not speaking of his biological brother. She knows to go to the disciples. He's speaking of the brothers of the kingdom of God, the family of faith. We're family this morning. And she goes and she tells them the most powerful words of all of John's gospel are uttered here in verse 18, Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, the first preacher of the gospel, a woman named Mary. She goes to the disciples and she shouts, I have seen the Lord. She had seen him. She had felt him. She had grabbed him, the one who had cast seven demons from her soul. And he has said these things to me. Well, Mary says, I have seen the Lord. She's saying, yesterday I was crucified with Christ, but today I am glorified with Christ. Yesterday I died with him, but today I am given life with him. Yesterday I was buried with him, but today I rise with him. Let us give honor 
to him in whose likeness we have been made. We can join John this morning by seeing and believing. John entered the tomb and he saw and he believed. We can join Mary this morning as he calls our name and we have the aha moment for no one calls our name like he does when his spirit nudges our hearts. Upon the crucifixion, all the disciples, all the disciples left Jesus and fled, but Mary. Mary lingers. And Mary speaks with angels. And Mary embraces the living Lord. I have seen the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning. Someone you love is already on the other side, already in the kingdom of God. Maybe you've got a graveside you will go to this weekend. And when you do, I want you to remember that Easter is not about the empty tomb of one Jewish rabbi by the name of Jesus who walked the shores of Galilee and called fishermen to his side and tax gatherers and sinners. What I want you to remember this morning is when his tomb is empty that he actually begins the glorious age of the resurrection. As Paul would say, he is the first fruit and those who believe will likewise follow what happens on this day is not one gentleman comes alive again, but rather through him. We die with him and we rise with him and none of us has to be afraid of death anymore. Oh, death, you've lost your sting. Oh, sin, no longer can you hold us captive. For on the cross, he bore our sins. And in his burial, we were buried with him. And on this day, the day of resurrection, we too are made alive for eternity with him. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and that's a big if, I have news for you today. Your resurrection has already begun with his empty tomb 2,000 years ago. Your resurrection is not different than his. It is not separate from his. It is part of his. Maybe we gather this morning, but Mary, while the others had gone to their homes, Mary lingers, and Jesus calls her name. Perhaps he's calling your name too. Let us pray. Indeed, O oh God, we gather this morning around the tomb with Mary, and we're reminded on that morning the stone had been rolled away, and the soldiers were as dead men. For the grave could not hold captive our Lord. 
for the hearts that need the word of the resurrection this morning. May they be comforted. For those who need to hear Jesus call their name, may they respond. And for those who need a church family and wish to worship and serve, may they gather with us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.